0: This Sunday, um, I can't say we're supposed to be in Stellenbosch, Uh, we're supposed to be here with you, but some friends that actually this community helped launch five years ago by financial giving to support their salaries, uh, Cedars Church in Stellenbosch, Adrian and Antoinette Quinlivan celebrate five years today. Uh, And so uh, we get to be part, we get to be part of a beautiful story that is both, one week old as Echo Life Church meet for the first time after their launch. Uh, churches that are five years old uh, and churches that are 123 years old. And in all of those, the life of God is able to be found uh, in those environments. Do you know that you start to look like what you look at? Yeah? You look at your dog a lot. You can kind of tell, I mean, Ryan has a pug. Um, it's it kind of like it, a Boston Terrier. It, it, well, it looks like a pug uh, to me anyway. A Boston Terrier, very handsome. He, he has a pig as well. Um, but you look like what you look at. And this is the same thing for our spiritual formation. And so we've been making much this year of uh, what content we take and what we look at spiritually is what we start to form ourselves around. And so the reality is... We are all being formed into something, whether it is done intentionally or unintentionally. But Jesus taught us that he's come that we may have life and have it to the full. And so if he has come that we may have it to the full, I want to be formed intentionally because that's the life that I want. And so I don't want to take the risk of trusting an unintentional formation to take place and hoping that somehow I'll land up experiencing the fullness of life that Jesus had for us. And so we are in this series, Take Hold. We have felt it was a word that God has kind of spoken to us of being able to take and make the most of every opportunity that God presents to us with wisdom and discernment because the days are evil. And so we live in a world where there are these conflicting, confusing thoughts that are are going around. There's distortions of everything. And so we find ourselves as those that are following Christ or say that we're following Christ, but there is this noise of information that is coming upon us. John uh, spoke either last week or in one of the times over the summit. Uh, just with this, that we don't, uh, we don't suffer for a lack of information. We actually suffer for a lack of discipleship. We are being bombarded with information. There is so much information out there. So much teaching out there. We do not lack for that. By watching Uh, other people that are preaching from anywhere in the world, that does not make us more holy or make us more mature. Discipleship makes us more mature. And Jesus, in His incredible uh, kindness, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but He emptied Himself of that and became a servant to us. If it was all right for us just to learn from teaching, then actually all the Scriptures of the Old Testament should have been enough for us. But it wasn't. Another plan had to be made, and Jesus decided that the best way, or the the Godhead decided the best way to do that was for Jesus to become human. Jesus to become a servant of all, so that we could touch him, feel him, smell him. And now in his infinite wisdom, he has given us the church. And so when we take hold of Jesus, we get the church. But here's, here's the thing about the church today, because of the advent of uh, uh, of digital, we have so much access to, honestly, preachers that are far better than me. But you don't have access into how those pe- what that person's marriage is like. You don't have access into how they parent on a Sunday when there are a few hundred people around and their child does something that they really shouldn't do. My Sunday occurrence, every Sunday. You don't get up close and personal to smell them. Sometimes with nice fragrance and other times after they've been preaching a couple of times, you just want to keep your distance. But this is the gift that God gives us in having Ephesians 4 uh, people that we're able to learn. We're able to be discipled within community. uh, We're able to know one another. We're able to get into each other's homes. We're able to get into each other's marriages. We're able to see how we parent. We're able to see how we manage finances. We're able to see all of those things. And so our encouragement to you this year is please be more committed to this community than you are to the communities that are online and digital and to every preacher and every other person that you're listening to. I'm not saying don't listen to them. What I'm saying is be more committed to the real people that you can smell, touch, and feel that you can be discipled by. Paul says that into, the, into the church of the early day, he says, the crisis is this, you have many guardians but not many fathers. Many people that can teach you, but not many who can love and disciple you. And so as we take hold this year, we're wanting to take hold of this beautiful gift that Jesus has given us. Many of us lack in our lives, we lack the fullness of life. We lack the peace that comes from a life governed by Jesus, not because we don't have access to a community, but because we don't take hold of that access. We don't take hold of what we can learn from one another. And so that is something of the direction we are moving in. I love some of the thoughts that, uh, that John presented, some of the statements that John presented last week as he, we were looking at uh, what it means to, to have a generous life. And he was just saying a, a generous life is not rooted in giving, a generous life is rooted in love. And today, we're going to be looking at service. And again, the the root of this is not going to be uh, acts of service. It's in a root of love. That as we love one another, the natural disposition and outflow of that is service to one another. And even as Jesus did not consider equality with God something to be taken advantage of but emptied himself of, he came in the form of a servant in order to love us. We are being spiritually formed, friends, and so let's do it intentionally and not by neglect. So I'm going to look at a few things, uh, and then we're going to land it in something very practical today in the appointment of two new eldership couples. But we've been talking a lot about actually the, the, a family, uh, what, what uh, makes family identifiable is that you, you kind of look like one another? People can tell who our children are because they look like either Jack's or me, or a mix of us both, but also you behave in a certain manner. I don't take your cue off of my kids. Um, they are still in training, they're learning the ways of the Mungavans. But we are the Anthem family, and so there's a way that we do things. Uh, we have our value, we, we have our culture statements all written on the back as you enter into the auditorium and as you exit the auditorium, but those cultures are rooted in a value system. That value system you will find in every Christ-believing community because they are what it means to follow Christ. But the way we give expression to those things is our culture. And so if you are part of the Anthem community and you buy into the value set, which is to be Christian, but you're giving expression to that value set, something that's completely way out of who we are as Anthem, that's good for you, but it's not, rep- it's not reflective of this family. It's not who we are. And so increasingly, as our private practices and our public expressions align, we start to be identified as, well, this is Anthem, and this is the unique imprint of God on this local church that partners with every other local church in this city to reflect something of the fullness of God in the city of Durban. So our desire is not to be the best church in Durban. We can't be that. The best church in Durban is when all the churches are united, reflecting the glory of God. That is the best church in Durban, all of us together. And that's what we will continually strive towards, that we will be blemish-free, wrinkle-free, spot-free, looking more mature and more beautiful as we go. And so we're going to just look at a couple of things as we form ourselves intentionally around Jesus Christ. We want to become like Him. And so who was Jesus? Who is Jesus? Philippians 2 verses 5 to 7 says this, "'In your relationships with one another, "'have the same mindset as Christ, "'or the same attitude as Christ, "'who being in very nature God, "'did not consider equality with God "'something to be used to His own advantage. "'Rather, He made Himself nothing.'" by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. Quite interesting that Jesus was in a position that he could have used for his advantage, but his definition of human likeness was a servant. I don't know if you've noticed that. So he made, he didn't use it for his own advantage, but he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. So there's something about our humanity should be rooted in, service. What we're going to be seeing today is two couples join this eldership team who stand here with, yes, the opportunity as elders, as those overseeing a community, the opportunity to use that position to their own advantage, and yet what qualifies them to stand with us today with the existing elders as they get added onto the team is the very fact that they will not use it for their own advantage, but they will serve. And they have been proven to do that and tested in that over many, many years. And so they stand here as qualified men and women because they have taken on the nature of Christ. They've taken on the attitude of Christ, the mindset of Christ, where they have not considered a position to be used for their own advantage. We see this, that actually this has been God's pattern from quite early on in the story of God's people. We we see the... Uh, there were 12 tribes uh, in Israel, so kind of 12 families uh, that kind of grew into being this nation called Israel. And God, they had not yet settled in their own inheritance or their own place of peace, their own home. But God had promised them one. And so they were about to, to move into that space. But two and a half of the tribes said, but actually this side of the Jordan, we have found a spacious and peaceful place. It was good for their livestock, etc., etc." And Moses, who had been leading them, said, Isn't that typical human nature? You don't want to fight for your brother's inheritance. You just want to live on this side because you've found your own peace. And so we pick up the story in Numbers chapter 32, 16 to 18, because actually what was in their heart was a very godly heart, not a very distorted human heart. And they came near to, uh, we read this in Numbers 32, 16 to 18, and they, the, the people, the two and a half tribes who had found their inheritance, they came near to him, to Moses, and said, We will build sheepfolds here for our livestock and cities for our little ones, but we will take up arms, ready to go before the people of Israel until we have brought them to their place. And our little ones shall live in the fortified cities because of the inhabitants of the land, and we will not return to our homes until each of the people of Israel has gained his inheritance. That is a big commitment. Put yourself in their shoes. There is an extended family line that have yet to move into their inheritance, into their spacious place. You've got little children, but you're making the commitment, I'm going to leave my little kids here in the safety of this fortified cities that we've built, but I'm going to go and fight for my brothers to come into their inheritance, and I will do whatever it takes. I will not return home until we have won. They had no idea how long that was going to take. No idea big commitment. We then see the ending of that story in Joshua chapter 22, verses 1 to 3. Then Joshua summoned the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh, that was the two-and-a-half tribes, and said to them, you have done all that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded, and you have obeyed me in everything I commanded for a long time now. To this very day, you have not deserted your fellow Israelites, but have carried out the mission the Lord your God gave you. If we extrapolate that to us today, we're going to say, how does this land for us today? Well, the invitation from Jesus is, if you come to know Him, we get grafted into the story of the Israelites. And so the blessing that was upon that family becomes our blessing, the inheritance that is going to them becomes our inheritance. We get pulled into that story. And we see from Jesus' words that are recorded in the Scriptures that His desire is that none should perish. So Jesus' desire is that all 8 billion people on the face of this earth would be able to turn to Him. That's the desire. And so if we are to go and extrapolate from this and say, actually, Spirit of Christ, would you teach us what the story means, what the heart of Jesus means, having the same mindset of Jesus means, Would you teach me what that means today? Well, it actually means this, that even though I've come to know Jesus and therefore I've come to find my own eternal inheritance and my own peace, I don't get to just live in that. My responsibility is to take up arms and fight for the brothers and sisters yet to find their inheritance, yet to find the peace that we have found. And if we just do a little bit of maths and there's 8 billion people in the world, what that will mean for us is it unlikely we are ever going to rest until Jesus returns. Which means we're in the fight. We're in the battle. Our responsibility, our mindset of Christ, to have the same attitude of Christ is to complete the mission, which is not to use to our own advantage the inheritance that we have from our Father in heaven. We do not consider the fact that we are sons and daughters of our Father Most High to be a position or to which we hold on to for our own advantage, but no, we make ourselves, we take up arms in order that others may come to have that same inheritance with us. What will we do to keep pressing towards that? The heart of a servant, not an act of service. The heart of a servant. And what we see here, I, I love these words in Joshua, for a long time now, so remember, many of the kids would have grown up when the dads returned home. There is a cost to fighting for the inheritance of someone else. But it says this, you, uh, you have not deserted your fellow Israelites, but have carried out the mission the Lord your God gave you. And so just kind of the second thing on carrying the mindset and the attitude of Christ is that we would continue the mission of Christ. Galatians 5, 1, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. And so are we prepared to keep submitting ourselves? Would we be in submission to the mission of God? See, it's not our mission. It's our Father in Heaven's mission. And so there is a commanding officer in a sense, if I can use the military jargon, there is a commanding officer. The the mission has been set. Our responsibility is to be in that mission. We are sub-missionaries. And so as you would go to war and there would be the different, there would be the Navy and the the Air Force and the Army, et cetera, et cetera, we may have roles to play within that, but that is all submitted to the great mission, the greater mission. And when you are at war, you don't get to say, hey, hang on a second, I'm tired. Enemy, can you just hold on for 48 hours so that I can rest? And when I'm good to go again, then we can pick up arms again. The enemy laughs at us. When we're on the battlefield, and this is what it is to be a follower of Christ, what it means to be spiritually formed in Christ, the attitude of a servant. I do not consider it for my own advantage. You see, if I'm the determinant, if, if I am the master of the mission, then I get to enter and exit as I please. Today, I have the emotional capacity to do this, so I'm going to do it. Tomorrow, I don't have the emotional capacity to do it, so I'm out. Today, I have the finances to do it. Tomorrow, I don't have the finances to do it. Today I'm a little bit tired, tomorrow I've got the energy. Like, we get to exit and enter. That's not the way a spiritual war works, friends. For a very long time. And that's why service is not based on our acts of service, but on the attitude of a servant. Because we will get tired of doing acts of service. But if our disposition is one of servanthood, it will be what flows from us all the time. Are you following me? Jesus himself desired for the mission to be accomplished a different way when he was on his way to his death. And he said, Father, if there is any other way, can it be? Let it be so. But he says, but not my will, but yours be done. And so as we are formed in the image of Christ, as we're formed in a spiritual formation towards Christ, it has to be as Christ would do. God, if there is any other way we could do this, but not my will, but yours be done. I am submitted, I am in submission to the one who sets the mission, our Father in heaven. Jesus dedicated his life to setting people free. When we take on the mindset and the attitude of Christ, that becomes what we do. Jackson and I used to live down the south coast and on the boundary wall, uh, we kind of shared a boundary to a forest, and it was beautiful to walk in except for the fact that there were snares there. And so people would hunt some of the wild animals that would go there, but we had two dogs that loved to go running. As soon as we opened the gate, they had gone. And we used to dread the fact when we got home to find our dogs not there, that they would have gone into the forest where they used to love to walk and run, but get trapped in a snare. And we would go out for hours looking for them. Often when we got home late, at night they would be gone. And so we would go out with our torches. We would go out in the dark. We would go out in the rain looking for our animals. Looking for our dog that had been possibly ensnared in the forest. We would have done anything to set our dog free. Knowing, you know when a, you know when a dog is injured. You know when an animal is injured or trapped. That that thing may turn on you. It, 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 you could be its master. You could be the one that it loves. But... It doesn't know that you're going to not hurt it, and so it can snap at you even when you're trying to set it free. Sometimes, I I don't know if you've ever seen those traps that some of those guys, I mean, those those teeth are quite gruesome. And when you try to open it, I, I have caught my finger in one of those things before. It's not fun. And then when your dog has been caught in it and you have to nurse your dog back to health, it takes time, it takes energy. And I don't think any of us would think twice about doing that. And yet somehow we walk around with humans, and just because they're not walking around with an actual snare on their foot, we forget the fact that we are ensnared and entrapped by all kinds of evil. And so the Spirit of God would say, can we open our eyes? Could we take the time and the effort? Would we go out in the dark, in the rain, going to look for those people that are ensnared and entrapped? And yes, they might turn around and bite you. Now I'm I'm really mixing my metaphors, my stories. But they they could turn around and bite you while you're trying to set them free. Yes, it could cost you time to walk with them, to bind them up, to heal them. God, I don't know if I've got 12 months or two years to walk with somebody. It seems like a lot of hard work. Yes, but it is my mission because it is for freedom that I have come to set you free. Will you not rest in your own inheritance until they have also come into their inheritance? That's what it means to be the, have a, carry an attitude of a servant, the attitude of Christ. It takes time. It takes effort. It takes process. It takes holding hands. Our service should be with whatever we have to offer. There's a story in Luke chapter 10... Uh, Some of us will know it as the Good Samaritan story. And so there's a guy that gets beaten and he's left on the side of the road. And there's two Levites. I mean, these are the priestly guys. These are the guys that are supposed to love God the most. And they see this guy bleeding on the side of the road needing help. And they go, let me walk on this side of the road as I walk down. I don't really have time or energy or effort for that. And then there's a Samaritan who doesn't really mix with Jews. And he sees him and he walks to him. And then the scriptures say this in Luke chapter 10. It says he gets off of his donkey and raises the injured man onto his donkey and takes him to an inn to be cleaned up. He didn't have two donkeys. He got off of his donkey, which speaks to what John was speaking about generosity yesterday. It's not, uh, last Sunday, it's not generous if it's given out of our excess. That's justice. It's only generous if it's our one and only. And so he gets off of his donkey and he gives it to the man. It would have taken him much longer because now he's on foot and he's having to walk alongside this injured guy. And he gets to the inn and he pays for the inn. That's cost him now. And then he says to the innkeeper, just look after this guy. I do need to go and just do my, my, my business for a bit. And then I'm going to come back and I'm going to settle you for all the cost. So there is a way that you can still do your business and still be a servant. And he comes back and settles that he was committed to the cause of seeing an injured man make his way to wholeness. So many lessons we can learn out of the story of the Good Samaritan about what it means to serve and what it means to carry the heart of a servant. And so we use whatever we have. I I am pretty sure that God's graced gift to the Samaritan was not the dismount of a donkey. Did you get that? you understand that? Like our grace gift of leadership or generosity or service. Like his grace gift was not that he could exit, get off of a donkey. That was just a very practical thing that he could do. So we don't have to over-spiritualize our service. What is in our hands? How can we help people that are entrapped, ensnared, broken, injured, need some help to be able to take to the next step? Or we walk them all the way through their steps. The heart of a servant. And then... Our service needs to flow from our heart. Jesus is in in a discussion uh, with the Pharisees, and the Pharisees are trying to catch him out. These are religious people, and they're trying to catch him out, like, oh, what's the greatest commandment? We're going to catch you here. And Jesus just very accurately says this in uh, Matthew chapter 22, verse 37. Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and the greatest command. And then he doesn't allow the Pharisees to go, ah, you see, we we knew that. But he immediately links it. He says, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. And the word love there is agapeo. Some of you may have heard of that before. But its definition is this, the active love of a father towards a son. The active love of a father towards a son. And so what Jesus is saying here is this, that actually love, so so what scholars have said, the best way scholars have been able to connect what love actually looks like is to recognize its active participation in the serving of another or others. So if you want a definition for love, this could be a definition. It is my active participation in serving you or another. So you cannot disconnect Love from service, and therefore, it is out of a heart of love, it is out of because we have been loved that we're able to be a servant. That we're not able to, we we, we don't consider that we can take hold of the peace and the inheritance that we have found, and just we live in our own happy, comfy worlds. But it's no, I have peace, I have inheritance, I have found my home, but I'm going to fight for my brothers and sisters, all eight billion of them, until they come to know the same freedom. That I have. That is only sustainable. When we have the heart of a servant. It is not sustainable. If we believe in just doing acts of service. Because we will get tired and weary. And so what happens now? How do we land this in eldership? Well, Jesus has given us the church as a community. And we we don't want to make more of this moment than what it should be made and likewise we don't want to make less of this moment than it should be. Because God gifts the church leadership for the sake of our flourishing and our security and uh, our being able to move forward in him. And we see in the scriptures uh, that there is an eldership team, there's a plurality of elders. And these elders are to oversee the affairs of the church. Like we oversee just how are we doing as a community. And so we don't want to make much. We use the term elders, but I'm not hung up on elders. Different churches use different terms. We do not get hung up on the terms. We don't even get hung up on the how we release them today. Or how we appoint them into their position. That is not the story or the big deal. The big deal is that there should be a plurality of men and women who are mature in Christ, who can be held up as examples that if you were to follow their way of life, you would look more like Jesus. And they will help make sure that we don't theologically become confused in the distortion of everything that's going out there in today's day and age. And they will help us manage our resources and they will help us remain uh, true. They will help us remain disciplined. They will help us, they will help care for the broken hearted they, they help us be better. They help us be more beautiful. And this is what God has given to us as gifts. And so when elders get appointed, when new elders get appointed, we always go, thank you, God. What is up for the next season? Because you're adding capacity. There's more, so there's more capacity. There's something new. There's a slightly different skill set, flavor that comes on. Maturity, yes. The family of Anthem, yes. But uniqueness as well. And that gets to be played into the story. And so we see three things, and then I'm going to call them up onto the stage. In Acts chapter 17, we see that God ordains times and places. If you go and read Acts 17, it says that He ordains the time and the place, and uh, so I put you here for this time so that some would be able to reach out to Jesus. So there's a time and the place. In Acts chapter 13, we read that the community's together, and God says, set aside for me so-and-so and so-and-so. And so we have four so and sos that are coming onto the stage, coming onto eldership. And so and so is Khet and Annalise, and so and so is Gavin and Nishara. And they're coming on to be part of it. And so there is a people, set aside for me, a people. And then there is 1 Peter 5, fellow elder in the city, that we don't do this on our own. Anthem is not on our own. We're part of the church of the city and we unite together. And so. These two couples that are joining the existing couples on the eldership team, we need a partner with other elders in the city. And so there's a time and a place and a people and a plurality. Those are the big stories that we anchor on in a moment like this. And so if Gert and Anneliese, Gavin Nish, John next, Jacks, Ryan Kate can all come up onto the stage.